The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Monday. This is Patrick Texas speaking and I'm super excited to have a friend of mine and a colleague of mine from Eyes on the Prize. And a, uh, you're also on Dobler Prospects, right? Because we're having yeah. Hadi Kalakesh here. Hi guys, uh, nice to be here again. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. And, and when it's me and Hadi, you probably realize it's going to be a lot of prospect talk. And, and with two... Uh, with one major tournament that got two games and uh, a two-week holiday for the Montreal Canadiens, we thought it was a great time to take a little bit of a look down to the World Juniors, see what we can, if, can we draw any conclusions really? And uh, well, we can draw the conclusion that that uh, Matvey Meshkov is a, is a machine and, and uh, he's going to go first and second uh, uh, because Bedard uh, is going to be it's going to be very good for the team picking second. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, yeah, we're going to start. This will be a two two part pod, and we're going to start with the Montreal Canadiens prospects, and then we're going to start looking a little bit towards the 2020, uh, 2022 uh, NHL draft, and, and take a look at maybe some of the top prospects in, in that draft that we saw in, in uh, the World Juniors and, and what they showed up over there. Um, Hadi, first and foremost, I hope you celebrated New Year's in, uh, in style. Uh, yeah, bad news there. I was working till 11 p.m. on the 31st and then started at 10 a.m. on the 1st. So not much celebrating there. <laughs> I just pretty much finished work, scouted a couple games and just went to sleep and woke up the next morning, started work. All right. Yeah, well, that's that's unfortunate. Uh, on the other hand, I, I I had saved up all my money and went to, to Brazil in for, for the millennia. And uh, awesome. we were standing on one of the islands and we were sawing everyone on the, like, so this is obviously east of Brazil. Uh, and we saw everyone started celebrating on the mainland, west of, of the island. And we were like, shouldn't we be celebrating the New Year's now? And they were like, nah, don't worry about South Sebastião. They're always a bit early. So obviously <laughs> we, were, we were late into the millennia because they just waited for a better photo opportunity and stuff like that. I was hilarious. Gotcha. You know, you never know what you're going to get on New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, normally we do get some um, some games on New Year's Eve, but uh, this time no, because of uh, different COVID outbreaks and and uh, security reasons, and we're gonna leave that discussion for somewhere else. But but we have three prospects that we were very keen on on watching. Um, two captains, and and let's start with yeah. the with the minor captain, really, Jan Mishak. Um, two games with the Czech with Czechia. I have to adjust to that as well. Uh, and, yeah, still have to uh, and we we're not really so sure what we saw. I put out a tweet just after the Germany game where I pointed out some of the deficiencies I saw in his game, 
maybe the first one after maybe 10 seconds, you, you're very high on adrenaline and you want to go for that rush and, and you put the puck on net. Uh, and and on the other hand, also the the fact that uh, his his uh, forward partner is a little bit behind the German player at that point. So so it makes sense. But the second time, when when they're really pushing to 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 uh, draw against Germany, um, he has a completely alone player in front of the net, and he still takes a shot. And his decision making yeah. seems to be. A little bit up in the air at times yeah so that's something i noticed and, and you know obviously you know we can't glean much out of two games that um are often very sort of politically charged and for many countries you know they uh choose people you know based on criteria that aren't necessarily skilled so you know it, it's not the perfect sort of scenario to scout a prospect but what worried me with Mishak is that the issues he had in those two games were pretty much the same issues he was facing in hamilton where um, it seems at time it seemed at times like he had almost no chemistry with his teammates. He wasn't able to sort of enter pockets of spaces at right moments and and sort of make plays to you know make the common sense plays. He was always looking to sort of generate offense in whichever way possible. Um, so we were talking a bit earlier about uh, you know, before we started recording about you know the, the similarities between sort of Paling's deficiencies and Mishak's deficiencies. Where Mishak, when he gets the puck and and starts skating at high speeds, it gets a bit muddy for him and he starts sort of um, he gets a bit tunnel visioned and, and the lack of creativity and sort of lateral distribution, um, especially, you know, early and then late in the season in Hamilton, um, it's, it's pretty much the same problem he was facing with Czechia there. Um, so that, that's a bit concerning. Um, and it's really just the fact that, you know, especially if you want success down the middle as a center, you need that creativity and lateral distribution. It's pretty much your job to connect your winning, your wingers to your defense and make plays between um, those two sort of units. So um, that's just a bit concerning in the Shaft's game. And I really hope we sort of see an improvement as the season goes on, because right now he's at, you know, four points in the last eight games uh, in Hamilton. So uh, it really needs to sort of come together for him. It's also something we saw a little bit with Cole Caulfield, though, when you are that star mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and maybe people are looking to you for, for, for dominance and uh, for leadership. And, and in that regard, you almost take on too much responsibility yourself and try to make everything out of it. Uh, it was something yeah. we saw in the second year with uh, Wisconsin for, for Cowfield. And I think maybe that is part of what happened with this Chechia team as well. They overperformed a little bit last year. Uh, obviously, with the loss to Germany, they underperformed, especially with the German team that they had this year. Uh, yeah. But but uh, a, a little bit could probably be, be left for, for that kind of analysis that he was trying to do too much himself. And, and yeah. uh, you, you can sort of understand that, especially if you're young, you're the captain and, and you need that leadership. But on the other hand, you look at someone that actually never got to play the World Juniors. And I think he's starting to draw a lot of similarities between a player that many are saying that Montreal should keep around, especially on the NHL team nowadays. And that's Lucas Vedemo. And uh, mm -hmm. starting out as a center, played winger the first year in SHL, then played center the rest of the years, uh, has played both center in AHL, but winger in the NHL. And, and I see mm -hmm. a similar kind of, you know, expectation for Mishak. It's starting to go down that route for me, rather than maybe a Plekanec mm -hmm. kind of center that, you know, Lacey, a lot of us was hoping for because he's Czech and, you know, 
Placanish is something yeah. we all appreciated and, and, and still do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a sort of easy comparison to go choose, you know, since they're both from the same country, um, play similarly in the defensive zone. Um, they've got some sort of similarities there, but yeah, I think Beto is a more accurate comparison just because, um, you know, in, in a more broader sense, it sort of points to a sort of glaring issue with sort of Habs development system, which is basically they like to round out players to complete them, to work on the individual things that would benefit them at the NHL level, like face-offs or um, stick positioning, that kind of thing. But the foundational issues of each prospect um, or the foundational aspects of their game that are actually better than anyone else that they do sort of differently that would make them stand out and be better NHL players. They don't hone those skills and make sure the foundations are stable. They just sort of start building a house on top of uneven foundations. And it leads to players that are good everywhere, but not excellent in any specific aspect. And especially um, they don't sort of identify those foundational issues and solve them so that the entire sort of product gets better. Um, there's things in Mishak's game that I've been saying since he was drafted sort of need to improve his creativity, his, um, as we mentioned, his lateral distribution, the way he's able to connect plays, um, and especially his his sort of uh, pace issue. You know, when he skates fast, he loses the puck often. Um, but when he's slowing down the play and taking his time, he can do that. But at the NHL level, you're not going to have that time and space. So it's the, you have to be fast or play fast, preferably both. Um, and that's the issue in Mishak game mainly. It's just that, he doesn't really play fast, nor is he fast himself in terms of his skating. So it leads to a player that often is either late or early on plays and it's just a tiny bit out of position on, on almost every play. Yeah, and uh, obviously Mishak is still 19. So yeah. I think that, you know, these are, this will be rounded out a little bit and maybe enhanced in, in certain ways when it comes to the AHL as well. Um, mm-hmm. And But what is important for for some of the people that are looking uh, or listening to us? They're not looking at us, thank God, Hadi. But <laughs> but uh, you know they they uh, consider that it it might be prudent to to remember that Jan Mishak is a project in progress. He's not exactly. He's not ready. He won't be ready next year. He won't be ready the year after that either. It will take time, yeah. uh, much in the same way as Vedemo, as Ilonen. Uh, and paling. people that get yeah paling that gets to spend quite a bit of time in the AHL to develop that that kind of North American style and faster paced hockey maybe than than you, what you can mm-hmm. get around with in with a little bit of a bigger ice in in uh, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at another prospect, and let's go with the other captain. It's it's uh, Gooley. We know Gooley was <laughs> more or less a shoe in. I mean, if he was older, he would have played with the NHL this year. Uh, we, we can yeah. we can be as certain as that. Uh, he was one of the last guys to leave camp. Uh, but yeah, this this is a, a prospect that will be ready next year. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I do have some sort of minor concerns about his ceiling and how high he can sort of project as an NHL defender. But um, for me, he's a lock-in to be an NHL player for at least a long while. You know, if it's if it's at least in a fifth or sixth defenseman role, um, he's going to make it in some way uh, quite soon. Uh, and he was also pretty much a shoo-in for, for Canada's captaincy, which is very rare to see. Often there's a, you know, pretty lengthy debate about who should be the captain and um, you know, the alternates and all that. But in, in, in Gooley's case, you know, since he was drafted, it's been pretty clear that he's got 
leadership abilities like very few others have in this draft. Um, the only real concern for me in, in Gouli's game is um, the, the way he sort of dictates play in terms of passing and transitions. Those are two areas that um, he, he really needs to sort of um, learn a, a sense of calm with the puck, a sense of poise that uh, would help him out. Because sometimes, um, especially on transitions, he'll, he'll sort of delegate his transitions to his uh, D partner. And if that's not available, he'll try a, a pass up the ice, a board pass, uh, a dump tip pass into the zone. Um, but there isn't much willingness to sort of um, generate offense through the back end himself. Um, which is one thing that you pretty much expect from any top pair defender. Um, but at the very least, he'll, he'll be, you know, a top six defender. And at, at the best, I'd see him as a sort of Joel Edmondson type, where he's shutting down defenses regularly, because in terms of his defensive numbers, especially this year, um, I've tracked a couple of his numbers um, in terms of analytics, uh, you know, his, his uh, zone entry denials, his uh, defensive breakups um, for 60 minutes, and all that is, is pretty much top end in, every sample, not just in the WHL, but every sort of non-NHL prospect defender, um, he pretty much leads them all in uh, the amount of defensive plays he makes. So defensively, I have no quarrels at all with Louis game. It's just if he needs to be a top defender, he needs to at least be able to make those complex passes, cross scenes, and, and at least carry the puck in himself. Yeah, and uh, the, the interesting comparison really, I think, is Alexander Romanov, who has had to develop um, while in the NHL. And do you think that is something we can see happening to Gouli as well? Or do you think they will actually be able to assign him to, to the AHL and, and uh, let him develop for maybe a longer period there? I think the better, um, the better solution for Gouli is to stay in the NHL and, and develop there. Obviously, the NHL isn't supposed to be a development league. Teams are looking to win as soon as possible and, and get points on the board. But at the end of the day, the, the style of play that Gouli's going to face in the NHL is very sort of broken plays, pucks bouncing everywhere, uh, chaos a bit. Um, Gouli needs to learn structure. And, and structure is something you don't necessarily learn very quickly in the AHL. Um, and stats-wise, especially, if you look at the, um, the impact of an AHL year on a prospect, um, I, I think it's about 75 to 80% of prospects that actually see a detriment in their NHL predictability once they reach the AHL. Um, you know, if they play there for a season or two, it doesn't necessarily always have a positive effect. And it really sort of depends on what the prospect needs to learn individually. And for me, Gouli, his main thing he needs to learn is how to play structured hockey um, and, and play it with poise rather than with chaos. Um, so that's, that's the sort of specific teaching that he'll be better served in, you know, learning in the NHL. Uh, especially since that's where he wants to play and that's where he projects. Um, I, I think the best solution to him is at least to put him on a third pair, face him against um, not necessarily shelter competition, but face him against hard four checkers that are going to force him to make um, split second decisions under pressure uh, and make good ones. So that's the main thing that I'd look at for Blue. What was very interesting to me, who had watched the Four Nations Under-20 tournament in Engelholm just a couple of weeks before the World Juniors kicked off, was that Antti Penanen, the coach of the Finnish team, had made one adjustment. And, and we're going to speak a little bit more about this later as well. But he moved the third line with Oliver Kapanen up uh, one position to the second line uh, and more yeah. of a shutdown role and then bringing down uh, the Brad Lampert line uh, into a third line. Yeah thereby giving that line a little bit more space and a softer competition. 
Um, a very smart move, and obviously Twitter blew up with that move, not realizing what was happening. Uh, but yeah. but um, I am a little bit worried about Oliver Kapanen, though. Um, yeah. I, I think that his hockey IQ is quite strong, but he reminds me also a little bit about Mishak, as, as you point out. He has the foundations, but he doesn't have all of them. Obviously, he doesn't because then he would be picked in the first round. But also the fact that uh, he has a great shot. We never see it used a little bit like Vedemo has. Uh, we we uh, can, can see him um, very good on the defensive side of the puck, but he lacks a little bit of the creativity on the, on the offensive end of the puck. Then, and, and this is something that I saw alive and I was asking Kapanen about, um, um, about it a little bit, like he's skating and it's not perfect and he he will need to work on his skating and we know what well if thomas holmstrom can win a couple of stanley cups we know you don't have to have the best skating in the nhl but on the 100%. other hand uh, on the other hand as a center uh, and not a power play specialist you might need to have a better uh, stride and especially both sideways and 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 for north south mm-hmm. it, it, it remember though is that Kapanen is eligible for for two junior tournaments still uh, mm-hmm. on top of my head it might just be one but at least he's in that bracket uh, it was his first 100%. world juniors and he he was happy it, what one of his main things was to come to the world juniors this year I think he played all right on the other hand Finland had maybe the easiest schedule of everyone. Uh, for those two games, Absolutely. and and uh, it blew some things out of a poor portion, but uh, he didn't stand out to that degree. And I'm 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 gonna leave this thought with you, Hardy, and and then you can reply to 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 what I'm saying. But I think that he might have to leave Kalpa, maybe do more of a Lekkonen style, where he goes somewhere else, completely new. Uh, Kapanen, uh, Sami Kapanen is obviously involved in Kalpa. It would be a tough transition in that regard uh, yeah. his uncle that is uh, but on the other hand maybe a new start maybe learn to live by himself um, work hard on those things that he needs to improve upon before becoming that NHL player that he projects as still yeah for sure so it's interesting you mentioned uh, his skating as an improvement and I think when, when you say that a lot of people will sort of have in mind that okay he needs to work on his leg strength and just start to do uh, power skating drills and all that, but it's it's extremely intricate with um, Kapanen and, and the improvements he needs. Um, his ankle flexion isn't near sort of good enough. His knee sort of just stands sort of straight compared to yeah. his ankle. It's not sort of bending in front of it to a to an extent where he can sort of create more push and have a more powerful stride. You, so you it's really go- sort of these small. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but it's it's like yeah, you you say his leg is straight, but. For, for anyone that looks at Montreal right now, and not a lot of us do, but uh, watch um, Jesse Ullinen, how he skates, because that is technically yeah. almost perfect. Yeah, he's the best skater in uh, the Habs system entirely. That's my belief there. Ullinen, um, for, for a very long while, been saying that this prospect needs to sort of play high-paced hockey uh, at, at an NHL level. I think he was ready last year, in my mind. Um, so it was, it was interesting to see him sort of come in immediately make an impact with Suzuki and Drew and look really good. Like, honestly, he, he was one of the Habs best players in the last game. 
Um, it was really interesting to see him go there. Um, but yeah, to, to come back to Kapanen, um, so skating's an issue for sure. Uh, his IQs, you know, as you mentioned, it's really good, but it's just the overall execution. And I talk about this a lot, about, you know, um, the tools versus the toolkit. Um, Kapanen has a lot of tools, but the way he utilizes them and the way um, he chooses to bring out specific tools at specific moments, that's what needs work. Uh, and that's the essence of creativity is using the right tools at the right moment to make plays happen and to connect them. Um, so if, if Kapanen manages to sort of round out his game in terms of you know his, his decision-making, the way that he um, sort of sees plays come to him, because he's got great anticipation defensively and offensively. It's just a matter of you know making sure he connects plays in the right ways, not just sort of find the first option, get the puck to them and, and skate up plays. Yeah, we saw that a little bit in uh, partly of, of Pennon's development of, or, or usage of him. Uh, you know, he was on, on, on the box play quite early. Uh, first uh, in, in four nations, he was first on the first box play unit. Uh, he led that on, on time on ice, uh, unofficially at least, because we didn't get proper measurements. Uh, then uh, he, he has the creativity, but it, he also... Uh, in four nations, at least, where he did get a lot of scoring chances, he was almost always too close to the goalie. He says he yeah. has this great hands and, and a great shot. And, and a lot of us, when we see it, when he's all alone, it is great. He can place it more or less anywhere he wants. Good pace, good strength. Um, he can almost hide it and, and flip it at the last second to change direction. Very skilled in that regard. But on the other hand... Uh, if when you're that close to the goalkeeper, it doesn't matter because all you have to yeah. do is lift it up. You, it doesn't matter with watch pace or, 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 or anything like that. You just need to flip the puck over the, the leg of the goalie. And and, uh, 100%. and obviously there are a lot of sticks in that area, so, so it's not going to be that easy. It's a little bit like I said with Lekkonen, and, and uh, I know you guys are tired of hearing it, but he will score more from around the hash marks and the face-off dots than he will from in close uh, a la Gallagher style. Yeah, exactly. And and that's something Kapanen sort of needs to sort of round out of his game is that he needs to be good in the peripheries as good as he is uh, sort of in and around the net. You know, I, I see him show up in those areas. I see the intentions of what he's trying to do. Um, but often it's just the execution and, and it's just not ideal, you know, in, in terms of how he, he plays out what he wants to do. His intentions are great. You see it every time he hops on the ice, you know, the, the things he's trying to do are the right things. Um, and it's just the execution that isn't there. And it's the same as with Lekkanen in that sense where, you know, he's always in the right spot. It's, it's, his stick is perfectly positioned. Um, he'll, he'll, you know, steal pucks, you know, round around, make the right pass. But then when it comes to actually finishing plays, um, it just sort of falters. So yeah, but I, I also think with Lekkanen, you, Montreal has forced him into a role where in Frölunda he was a little bit further out. Obviously, the goalkeepers are better, but he broke Daniel Alfredson's scoring record for Frölunda yeah. that Daniel Alfredson set in 2005 when he was still, you know, a fantastic player. So, yeah. so you have to. I also think this is a development issue or you're trying to force yeah. a person into a role because you want all uh, lines to play more or less together. Yeah, I've said this often with the Habs is that they, they develop the prospects that they want, not the ones that they have. Um, and every individual case is so different that you can't just sort of 
um, send your send your prospect drills once a month and uh, sit down with them at dinner twice a year. That's that's not a proper development sort of structure. You need to be able to sort of sit down with these guys um, on a regular basis, show them clips, um, break down the very intricate specific things that they need to improve. Stuff like uh, shin angles, um, you know, receiving pucks on your backhand. Uh, receiving pucks in pivots and movement. Those are very small, specific things that a prospect can learn that'll pretty much double their output. Um, and I, I see the Habs as a team that sort of has an objective in terms of the prospects they want and the way they want their prospects to play. And they force a square, a square, you know, object into a round peg. And they start asking themselves, you know, why is it not working? And then they fire develop that they fire drafting staff as if the drafting's the issue. But honestly, Timmons has done a good job in terms of finding prospects with little things they need to improve to become great players. It's just after the draft that the issues arise, and it's just because of the structure that has it built in terms of the development. Yeah, and uh, going back to Timmons a little bit, you, 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 I agree with you there. It's he's missed, or he has missed. The question is, how much has he missed on the on the on the first uh, round picks? But looking at the later rounds, he is arguably one of the better uh, selectors out there. Uh, over that time yeah. of, of in, with the Habs, because I don't, th there will not be many clubs that will have um, had as many fourth, fifth, sixth round picks coming through. Yeah, the Habs even seventh. Yeah, I think the Habs had three seventh rounders in one game playing. I don't remember which ones. It was Evans, Primo, and someone else. But either way, um, very few teams have the ability to sort of at least make an NHL out of a sixth or seventh round pick. The Habs have been able to do that just because they identify players with small things to solve, and then they do their best, their best to solve those issues. But when you're drafting in the first round, you've already got a prospect with a lot of good tools, and it's not the tools that are often the issue that cause them to miss the mark and not make the NHL. It's the toolkit. It's being able to use the tools at the right moment. It doesn't matter how good your shot is. If you don't throw in deception, if you don't, use it at the right moments and shoot pucks from from areas that you shouldn't, you're not going to score goals at, at the NHL level. Um, so it's just about honing the player more than the tools that they have because the player can sort of improve in small ways like this that'll sort of boost their production in, in, in very good ways. I think the Leafs do a very good job of that, of just drafting for foundations and then building off of that. Players like Rodion Amirov, like Matthew Nye, Matthew Nye's recently, um, Topi Niemela was a big sort of development um, sort of success of theirs where um, he didn't activate offensively a lot. He was really good defensively and had good tools offensively, but wasn't using them because he was never in the offensive zone. And once they taught him to just sort of rush up whenever he sees a chance and try stuff, uh, he, he exploded offensively in the league. So it's just small things like these where you just, you fine tune your player rather than just sort of, you know, round them out and put them in, into a position where they're just going to be able to sort of do the regular plays and nothing sort of outstanding that makes them stand out from other prospects. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I know it's only a two-game uh, evaluation, but what grades were you be giving these three players uh, in regards to their performance in the world? You said what we would look uh, for, but what would you give them as mm -hmm. grades? Yeah, so Gouli, I, I think, really played defensively to the height that we expected of him. Uh, I'd, I'd give him a B grade overall, but defensively, he was an A and A plus. Like, honestly, there was very little to criticize about um, the way that he broke down plays. Sometimes he was a bit lost in terms of, um, you know, cycle plays and, and keeping track of people going through the slot. But 
most of the time he was in good position and doing good stuff. So Kuliup has been, you know, was great at this tournament. Mishak, I really expected more. Um, he, he honestly, he faded out of games for multiple sort of minutes um, every night. So it wasn't something that um, I expected from him. I, I'd, I'd give him something like a C. Um, and, and Kappen is really hard to value just because I've mainly focused on, on Mishak and Guli. I, I caught one of his games, um, watched it a bit of it, but it was happening at the same time as, as Canada's, I think. So um, I, I would leave that to you, honestly. You've watched it a lot more. I'd probably give him a C- minus or, or something like that. He did what was expected. I think that was it comes down to. A C-, minus, D+, plus maybe somewhere around that. On the other hand, he's in, a, he, he's in his first year. He got, he got selected. He had... He, he he did the things he was supposed to be doing and i think that's you know a fair assessment and and yep. uh, transitioning into the second uh, uh part of the podcast and uh we have there there is an interesting draft for obvious reasons when montreal is going to pick top four uh <laughs> more or less guaranteed um looking at the rankings uh shane wright didn't really have a stand-up tournament right no, not at all. But then we have the interesting things because here comes the Euros. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, but we have Uri Slavkovsky, um, uh, really, really interesting, along with um, Joachim Kimmel. Um, Kimmel didn't really show anything. I think we, we expected more from him, especially in these blowout games, but I'm not going to hold him again, uh, hold it against him because it was also, you know, he's been away for almost a month from the, from the game. And um, yeah. And he was rusty. You could tell that it suited Finland to have him come in, like to blossom further into the tournament than coming in already and exploding onto the scene. And then everyone is going to shut him down. Um, <laughs> but that's a pure scorer. Slavkovsky is more of a playmaker, I think. Uh, obviously, size difference is, is enormous here. Uh, but um, they're both pros and cons as wingers, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I I still value Kamel as sort of higher than than Slavkovsky. I, I really like Slavkovsky's game. Like I'm I'm not gonna lie to you here. He's, he's one of the rare six foot four you know wingers who can skate well, who can pass well, who can shoot well. He's got a very complete toolkit. Uh, and on top of that, he's got a good brain and, and he's able to to connect plays really well. Uh, but uh, the thing with Kamel is you know just the the level of of off-puck off offensive positioning, the way he finds little pockets and exploits them. Um, the, his intentions, even in this tournament where he was sort of average, his intentions were always good. He was, you know, uh, showing up in the areas he should have been and, and shooting pucks at moments he should have. It's just the execution where um, he'd make a toe drag when he shouldn't. Um, you know, he was in the right position with the puck. He could have shot it. Um, and he chooses a wrong move to make a shot or, or a pass. And, those little sort of differences usually are a result of rustiness. You know, it's just not reading the play right at the last moment under pressure and just making it small sort of uh, mistake in terms of decisions. Um, but I think his play in Finland so far has really sort of put a focus on how good he is at, at finding space and scoring goals, which is pretty much the essence of, of NHL hockey. Um, he, he's a bit like Caulfield in that sense where, you know, he's a good skater, um, good, very, very good stick handler, uh, very, very good shooter. Um, but it's, it's everything together that makes an NHL player. No matter how good your individual tools are, if they don't all come together, it's not really going to be too much. Uh, I'm still very high on Canel. I think he'll get it together. It's something that's pretty easy to learn in terms of a prospect, but um, what's really impressive with Slavkovsky is, is how good his execution is. He makes plays at right moments um, and you know just puts it all together in really good ways. So that's what's promising. 
Yeah, and uh, the, the, if we go through the Europeans here, there's one thing that really stands out, and that is the fact that a lot of them are playing in a men's league already, whereas you look 100%. at uh, Savoy and Wright, who are in juniors. Yeah, and I think that makes a big difference in terms of uh, prospects output because first you're learning to play against big, strong dudes that um, you know have played this game for a long while. That that level of experience and maturity um, it really sort of shapes prospects when you face those guys on a regular basis because those are you know the that's a build of guy you're going to face in the NHL. So it's really a good start. And especially we were talking about this earlier as well before we started recording, but just the fact of making it into uh, a men's league as an 18, 17 year old, you have to convince a lot of people that you're, you're ready for that. And if you're able to convince pro level coaches already that your game is, is suited for their league, that's an extremely good sign. That's why I value, you know, players that are playing in pro leagues at, at very young ages uh, a lot. And that's, what's impressive with Kamel is, He's been scoring at a rate that exceeds Patrick Lyonnais, that exceeds Puliyarvi's, um, Barkov, all those players that, you know, at similar ages had, had less impressive production uh, than Kamel. So if he's able to not only play regularly in a men's league, but uh, for a long while be the league's top scorer as a 17-year-old, um, that's something that you can't overlook as a scout. You, you have to take that into account. You mentioned Line, obviously, easy comparison as well. He's a wee bit shorter than Line, obviously. But but one thing is that Line didn't really have a good Liga session before the World Juniors. It, it sort of exploded with the confidence that he got in the World Juniors. Uh, Pugliarvi yeah. was ranked ahead of Line almost until the playoffs, where Line was outstanding. It's one of the best playoff performances I have seen in any league, really. Uh, incredible performance. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, Line and isn't really working out, and I'm wondering what that is. I don't think it's down to him. I think it's uh, maybe the NHL and and the system of of making players play here. But essentially, you should yeah. just have him in 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 the Ovechkin uh, position and have him slap shots from there because he will yeah. he will put nine out of he will put ten out of ten in more or less. Um, yeah, we got a, a big defender. A very smart defender. I've seen him a few times, and it's Nitras uh, Simon Nemetz. And and uh, I've been told that it's TZ at the end, so Nemetz. This is actually one of the more interesting prospects that I think are around in that bracket where Montreal will pick. I like Nemetz quite a bit. Yeah, same here. Honestly, um, the way he dictates play from the back end, the way that he manipulates uh, offensive players on the other side. It's, it's really something that first you see very rarely from defenders that age. Uh, but especially just, I feel like he sees the game in a way that other prospects don't. And no matter, I don't even think he realizes it yet. Um, how, how exactly good his play reading is and how he's able to sort of dictate plays. Um, with Nemitz, it's, it's just a matter of, making him understand how good he is. Because right now he projects as a really, really good defensive player. Um, his offensive tools are there, but they're not honed to an extent that I feel comfortable projecting him as you know a 50, 60 point defenseman or plus. But with the right development team, with the right time allocated to him, I think Nemes can be a franchise defender. He's a wonderful, wonderful player. Um, Juracek might have a higher offensive ceiling, uh, but at the end of the day, if Nemes is, is properly... Um, is properly developed, 
Um, I think you've got a, a, a number one defenseman there, and those are rare to find. And when you're able to draft them, especially in the top five, you jump on those guys. There's no way about it. Even Juracek with his injury, um, I think he should be in the top five as well. Those are two guys that I really have neck and neck, and I'm still, you know, sort of scratching my head and wondering which of the two is best. Um, how, much will the injury, how much will the injury impact uh, his draft ranking oh, now that, where we know he won't be able to play for the next uh, uh, until next season, really? Yeah, so um, the thing is with injuries is you see it regularly. They do affect prospects' projections. Peyton Krebs should have been the top 10 pick and he was drafted in 17th uh, or 19th because of his, uh, because of his Achilles injury. Uh, it happens a lot in the NHL where you know, you're drafting prospects, you want them as soon as possible, and you're going to make everything in your power to, to sort of make sure that they're, they're there as soon as possible. But um, with your check, I don't think you should be able to sort of just dismiss him as a, as a top 10 pick just over this injury. Um, if you look at the injury itself, yeah, he, he, he threw a hit that wasn't ideal. He went in with, with his legs first, and it wasn't Cooley's fault, even though Cooley, you know, you know was just a pretty dirty guy. Um, it was, that hit wasn't his fault. Uh, he was just standing there, Juracek went for the hit, and he just led with his knee and just clipped his feet with his knee. Um, so there's small things like these that, you know, could lead to less injuries in the future, but I don't think you can dismiss Juracek as, as a top five pick. For me, he's a lock-in. Um, there are very few prospects that are able to dictate offensively like he does. So yeah, I was just saying, I was always saying Nemets and and um, and Yurichek are neck and neck for me, and I'm still wondering which of the two is better. One guy that I think you know made a very good impact on on the two games that he played, but on the other hand <laughs> fell behind. Uh, he was overshadowed by someone we already mentioned on this pod, and that's uh, Matvey Meshkov, uh, Danila Yurov is maybe the slow riser of this draft? Yeah, uh, I've got him in my top five right now. Um, I really, really like the overall tools he shows, the way that he sort of picks up pace and, um, and, and, and just generally sort of dictates play by dynamism. Like he, he, he'll, he'll go through a couple guys and, and make a play defensively that I wouldn't have seen. He'll find scenes that I haven't seen. So the only issue right now is he's playing, you know, there's, there's games where he's sitting on the bench for the entire game in Russia, just not doing anything. So they've got him back in the NHL now, I think, where he's, he's picked up offensively and making plays. But this World Juniors, he, he was hard to scout just because um, he, was, he was just very little in control of the puck. His team didn't really find ways to find him, give him the puck to make plays. So he was definitely overshadowed by Mitchkov as well. You know, it's, it's hard not to get overshadowed by this guy. He's, he's ridiculous. Honestly, there's... There's not many prospects that can score like he does, so um, I don't blame and, him for and that. It's like but... he's still playing hockey like he's five years old on the ice and just having yeah. fun. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's what you like from a prospect. You like to see him have fun out there because fun is translatable. Like if you're having yeah. fun at this level, you'll have fun at other levels, and fun really creates a bunch of creativity. You know, brings um, the best out of prospects. I'm gonna skip Logan Cooley for for a wee bit here, but what um, one of the mm-hmm. We have a couple of guys that we need to talk about before going over maybe to, to if we keep with the Euro, Euro system here. Uh, Brad Lampert, obviously Twitter exploded, half Canadian guy, putting up points everywhere. Of course, he's the first round pick, right? Or first overall pick mm-hmm. now, right? For sure. So uh, with, um, with Lampert, the thing is, um, you know, there were doubts about his game in Finland. Um, he, he really didn't look the best out there, even though he was skating well. You could see that his posture is pretty much, you know, really, really good. Um, and his playmaking as well. It just wasn't coming together. And there were doubts about how he would play against men. 
Um, and, and obviously it's, it's two games in a very, very easy schedule, but to see Lambert be able to be the best player on his team, um, it's, it's really promising. And I think, you know, that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing in the next few weeks from him is if he's able to come back to Finland and just like Lining, sort of bring that confidence with him and, and show that he's able to feed off confidence and, and get better results. Uh, for me, he's a lock-in in the top three. But um, until I see that, he'll remain sort of a top 10 player just due to the tools and how good they are. Um, but I, I do want to see more from him. And obviously, two games against the schedule, you know, Finland had, it, it, it wasn't ideal. Yeah, because I saw him, as I mentioned, three, three to four weeks earlier, and mm-hmm. he was one of the worst players on a team Finland that was beaten soundly by Russia's under 20C team, more or less. Uh, mm-hmm. So so I'm still very much on the fence about this player and, and what he's translate into down the line. But on the other hand, we know players have, especially players that has been brought up early. Uh, Lundell was one of those players as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Being brought up early to Liga, uh, getting that Comet rise, uh, exploding onto the scene and and you know everyone says oh this is the guy and obviously in finland it's a tall order because everyone now expects finland to get that first overall that they haven't had um and here we go with with brad lampert who who exploded onto the ice obviously half canadian means much more writing and publicity around him as well but but yeah i'm i'm a little bit surprised about him uh, i'm still not really sure what to make out of him uh, is this a dip is it a Lundell-like dip or, or is it uh, um, like something that he broke through too early and, and it hampered his development rather than, than, than helped it along? Uh, it will be interesting to see. Um, he plays for Yip in Liga and, and uh, they're not doing extremely well either, are they? If I go from the top yeah. of my mind here. Uh, yeah, but, exactly. But so, so it might be that regard as well. But I'm... Um, from, he was a completely different player in four weeks' time. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. the competition in those two games compared to the three games in Engelholm was also mm-hmm. massive. Exactly. And, and that's the thing with Lambert. I think, I think the uh, Aturatu uh, issue from last year, the, how he slid so far in the draft, I think that's sort of weaned me off of worrying about production immensely. Because mm-hmm. if you're there already, you've convinced enough guys for me to think that you know, you've got enough potential for that. So... Um, for, for me, you know, seeing Lambert slip in the draft, at least outside of the top 10, for me, it wouldn't make sense just based on what I've seen from him individually as a player. Um, things not coming together uh, as an 18 year old in a men's league, that's not too surprising for me. You're playing with new people, you're playing um, with and against men for the first time, and stuff can get blurry. But um, what I like to see is adaptability. So if in the next few months, I see uh, I see Lambert adapt to his environment and, and sort of make the best out of it, then for me, he's a lock-in uh, for the top end of this draft. But it really all depends on what we see in the next few weeks and how he builds off of his two games uh, for filming. That's what matters. Um, we're going to finish the Euro, Euro part of this with Marco Casper. Uh, it was very interesting to see Bobby Margarita. Uh, <laughs> a small, small, we're not <laughs> sponsored by them. Sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but... but uh, to have him as one of the 
prospects that GMs and scouts were most interesting to see in this tournament. I think he was at number eight out of 10 on that list uh, that uh, that he held up in, in uh, the coverage. But Marco Kasper, in Rugle, top team in SHL. Uh, I know the coaches in Rugle expect him to go somewhere between 20, 10 and 13, uh, maybe not break into the top 10, but it, it 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 is a name to keep an eye on now. Big, strong center, smart IQ. Um, his shot is probably something that needs to be a little bit worked on. But but this is a, a center that has kind of a lot of things that you would like to see. For sure. And if the Habs are able to sort of pick up a, uh, a selection in that range and, and go for him, it, uh, that seems like a very Habs pick to me. It's the type of guy that, um, the Habs seem to sort of value in terms of those big guys who can make plays, who, who, who are smart, um, responsible defensively, and, and able to play above their age uh, regularly. That's the type of pick I see the Habs make. Um, but uh, for me, you know, what matters the most in Casper's game is, you know, I've seen him play in the Champions Hockey League a couple of games, and honestly, uh, it, he's he's really been good. And that's what's surprising to me is, you know, to be able to face the top teams in Europe and still be able to come out with impressive productions where I sometimes feel like he's the best player on the ice at the moment, you know, among the wingers and defensemen he has with him. For me, that matters a lot. And um, the, the higher the competition, the, the better I see Casper being, which is always promising. There's still some doubts about his offensive predictability. Like, like for me, I, I don't see a shot at the premier, you know, top five shot in this draft or, or anything like that. He has very good playmaking. But I don't see him cross scenes as regularly as, as for example, a Brad Lambert does. Um, so there's, you know, little tweaks like that about his game. But he's such an interesting project that I really wouldn't be surprised to see him um, some, somewhere around eighth or ninth overall or even, you know, within the top 15. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm, I'm sure about top 15. The question is where in the and I'm probably leaning more towards 14, 15. Uh, than, but I can see... Uh, similar like Red Wings did with Cider, just go in and grab him if they want. If, if, if someone is high on him, and let's face it, he opened up his uh, uh, national team account in his second game, he got two goals, including the winner. So <laughs> even if it's Austria yeah. facing another uh, lower ranked team, it's still impressive <laughs> when you come to it. We're going to finish this off though with, with uh, Logan Cooley. Uh, we spoke a little bit about him. Um, what are your impressions here? And, and you follow him more closely than I do. Well, Cooley, the thing is, he is one of the most outstanding uh, two-way players in this draft, if not the sort of premier two-way player in this draft. So, um, you know, in, in terms of that aspect, you've already got a player that's well-rounded in that scene. So I don't even think he really needs a lot of work uh, defensively. Offensively, his puck skills are really great. He stick handles extremely well um, and has very good distribution. He'll look one way past the other without a problem. Um, there are a couple guys on that NTDP team that I think their upside is a bit higher. Um, I think Cooley really projects as a second line center um, through and through, but a really good one. Uh, but there's a couple of top line guys, especially, you know, the name that comes up in my mind right now is, uh, is Frank Nazar. Uh, Frank Nazar is a guy that I've followed really closely and I see a bit more in this game that I see in Cooley that, that, you know, makes me safe in the thought that he might be a top line player, but still Cooley's an extremely good pick in that top five where, you know, if a team's already has their lock in at, at 1C and needs a second line guy who's going to, you know, play every situation on the penalty kill, um, you know, chip in on the power play and, and be a very good driver at five on five. Um, that's an excellent pick and, and, and Cooley really shows that. For me, it's just a matter of how much he improves his, his shooting and his passing. 
Um, but there's enough tools there and, and enough good intentions there that I feel safe in that pick if he's going in the top five. You have a lot of people in the top five. Yeah. Well, right now it's um, it's it's eight uh, people or something, just from what I'm from this podcast. I think. I mean, right now, right now it's uh, Lambert. No, sorry, it's um, Wright, uh, Kamel, uh, Nemitz, Yerichek, and uh, Yurov. I've got him just outside at six. Moving um, coolly, six overall on my rank. <laughs> you heard, you heard, Hadi uh, Kalakesh. You find him, and he's very underrated on Twitter. So make sure to follow him. Because 1,165 uh, <laughs> followers, that's not enough for, for someone like this with this knowledge in hockey that Hadi possesses. Uh, please, Hadi, it's been amazing. Um, thank you so much for following. I'll be sure to put your, your Twitter handle into the description of the podcast so, so it will be easy to find. Um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time, Hadi, and I hope our listeners does too. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and uh, really means a lot.